Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you are just tuning in, Jack's uh, gallbladder plus whatever else is going on saga continues. He's in the hospital. He's been calling in a couple of segments every hour, and we will talk with him again in a few minutes. He's got to have something or other donned and... Yeah, yeah. thinking he's going to be fine. Sure, yep, yep, he'll be fine, but it's a little worrisome. Oh, you know, you want this stuff to straighten itself out uh, sooner rather than later. So I referenced it uh, earlier, and we're going to hit it this hour. Gavin Newsom, the lunkhead governor of California, is attempting to imitate that interesting, weird Texas abortion law that gets around the courts. Gavi wants to do that and go after guns and attack the Second Amendment outside the court system. We warned you when the Texas law came out. Maybe you hate abortion, but this is a can of worms, this law. So we'll explain that and uh, and talk about what's happening in Cal Unicornia, too, uh, in just a couple of minutes. But I referenced it just a few minutes ago. Uh, Chris Wallace, uh, long-time presence at Fox News, has followed several of the other like straight journalists out the door uh, at Fox uh, it appears that uh, uh, Tucker Carlson Patriot Purge documentary is at the heart of a lot of people's unease. But uh, we'll let uh, Chris Wallach explain it himself. Uh, I can't remember. What number is that, Michael? 11. Yeah. Thanks. Finally, a personal note. After 18 years, this is my final Fox News Sunday. It is the last time, and I say this with real sadness, we will meet like this. 18 years ago, the bosses here at Fox promised me they would never interfere with a guest I booked or a question I asked, and they kept that promise. I have been free to report to the best of my ability, to cover the stories I think are important, to hold our country's leaders to account. It's been a great ride. We've covered five presidential elections, interviewed every president since George H.W. Bush, Traveled the world, sitting down with France's Emmanuel Macron and Russia's Vladimir Putin. And I've gotten to spend Sunday mornings with you. It may sound corny, but I feel we've built a community here. There's a lot you can do on Sunday mornings. The fact you've chosen to spend this hour with us is something I cherish. But after 18 years, I have decided to leave Fox. I want to try something new to go beyond politics to all the things I'm interested in. I'm ready for a new adventure, and I hope you'll check it out. And so, for the last time, dear friends, that's it for today. Have a great week, and I hope you'll keep watching Fox News Sunday. So a couple of sides to this coin. Number one, the uh, the lefty media is making a big deal of the fact that he's leaving and Fox News is getting more and more, you know, whatever you want to say, Trumpy or conspiracy-ish or whatever. Um, honestly, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, being in the business more or less. I'm looking at some of the details. So he's going over to CNN, which is in a desperate fight for credibility because they've had to fire half of their hosts for being liars and cheats and partisans masquerading as journalists um, or, or, or doing rotten things to people in bars. Don Lemon, we haven't forgotten. Um uh, and and Wallace's contract is up. Plus, he said he hinted at it there, and he he went into a little more detail in other places, saying he's interested in 
much more than politics. He's interested in business and entertainment and sports and books and all sorts of stuff. And so if CNN backed up the money truck and said, yeah, you can do a general interest show, sure. In fact, you can do a special features for our online whatever, it's probably pretty attractive to the guy. So I don't know that I would make that big a deal over it. But I know some of you love Chris Wallace, some of you hate him. But uh, that's fine. We can still be friends. Right, right. So the Texas abortion law, really interesting in that it was designed cleverly. You know, you can say it was kind of craftily, insidiously, depending on how you look at it, but it was designed to get around the court system because you can't sue Texas for cracking down on abortions because what Texas did was it empowered private citizens to sue Texas abortion providers. And so, and, and it, you didn't have to be affected at all. I mean, it kind of t- turns the, the idea of standing in a court where I, I can't sue you know, some ice cream store for having crappy ice cream when I've never had their ice cream. Um, you've got to have a, a reason you're in the fight, in the battle. you got to have standing. But they kind of stood that on its head in Texas and said any citizen could sue an abortion clinic for providing an abortion. And, in fact, if 100 people sued an abortion provider for providing an abortion, that's fine. Well, I mean, if you're really, really, really dead set against all abortions, I certainly respect your point of view. Um, but that's a legal nightmare. Californians, Cal Unicornians, uh, who are hip to this, uh, are familiar with the uh, ADA laws, which included a, a little wrinkle that, what was that called? The Unruh something or other? After old, old Jesse Unruh was a legislator forever ago. But um, the idea was the authorities wouldn't have to come to your little Vietnamese restaurant and find out that your, uh, your bathroom stalls weren't ADA compliant. Anybody could do it. And so you got these uh, wheelchair Nazis, as we call them. They're extortionists. They go around to businesses. Sometimes they don't even go to the businesses. They just look at the parking lot on Google Maps, and they sue everybody. They sue every little, uh, you know, two-employee, strip mall, restaurant, dry cleaner, jewelry, repair shop, whatever they can find. Their door has, like, one pound too much tension or, or whatever, um, and they sue them. And then they say, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll forget about all this. You write us a check for, depending on the size of the business, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000. It's an extortion racket. And, uh, and they frequently target uh, immigrant-owned businesses, too, because those folks aren't quite as adept with English, perhaps, or uh, quite as uh, you know, knowledgeable about the American legal system. So it's, it's just terrible. So that's what really bothered Jack and me about the, uh, the Texas abortion law, because it stunk of that nightmare in California. Well, Gavin Newsom, lunkhead governor of California, uh, Saturday called for a similar law giving ordinary residents legal standing to file lawsuits against purveyors of restricted firearms. Quote, SCOTUS is letting private citizens in Texas sue to stop abortion. If that's the precedent, then we'll let Californians sue those who put ghost guns and assault weapons on our streets, whatever assault weapons are. Do you mean a rifle, Gavi? If Texas can ban abortion and endanger lives, California can ban deadly weapons of war and save lives, Uh, which seemed to contradict his earlier criticism of the Texas law, which Newsom had previously described as a cynical attempt to undercut federal rights. That's funny that he had such a change of heart. But uh, not if you know Gavi. 
Uh, in a state, he has no principle. In a statement released on Saturday evening, Mr. Newsom said he instructed his staff to work with California's legislature and attorney general to write a bill that would let citizens sue anyone who, quote, manufactures, distributes, or sells an assault weapon or a ghost gun kit or parts in California. Governor calls for damages of at least $10,000 per violation, plus costs and attorney's fees. Holy cow. So, I know a lot of legit gun dealers, uh, gun stores, um, independent folks sell various kits and accessories and that sort of thing. They might be subject to, uh, you know, a horrific number of these lawsuits, or at the very least, and if you've never been sued, maybe you don't understand this. It's not like somebody sues you and, and the judge, you know, sweeps in and says, oh, ho, ho, this lawsuit is meritless. This person is innocent. Go away with your scurrilous lawsuits. Go away and leave them at peace. No, you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars defending yourself. And, you know, once in a great while, you can get your attorney's fees paid for. But, man, that's a roll of the dice. I'm gonna call my lawyer. Ghana. 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 That's Ghana. right. So the governor's vow to use California courts against gun violence followed the soup's decision Friday to let the Texas ban on most abortions stand while it's being litigated. Uh, really heated disagreements between some of the justices on that. They've got to deal with this. Um, and, and, you know, I almost went to law school, school famously, but I'm not enough of a legal expert to explain precisely where this is going to go and why. But the idea that you can design a law so that it can't be reviewed by the courts because of the nature of the law, uh, nobody can be sued. I mean, because in, in the Texas abortion law scenario, I mean, uh, maybe say, uh, you know, uh, me and, and 500,000 other people are running around suing everybody we can. Well, you can have a lawsuit against me, but the other 499,999 people are still running around. So it's, 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 you know, it's, it's designed to skirt the Supreme Court in a way that since, you know, Marbury versus Madison, which you probably learned about in, in history class, where, you know, we decided, look, the Supreme Court reviews laws. That's what they're there to do. Um, you can't have that. That's really bad. So, um, where this ends, nobody knows, but it's this, the soups have to deal with it, and they have to deal with it pretty quickly. So, uh, horrific, devastating uh, tornadoes over the weekend. Uh, God bless all the victims and their families. There's not a lot you can say about it. We'll, we'll hear from some of the local folks describing the the mind-boggling, the unfathomable damage. Uh, also, gosh, what what else were we going to do? Um Oh, some stuff on the economy and, and an interesting report on Ukraine. Scanning, scanning, what else? Oh, oh, we've got a tsunami awokeness coming up in about uh, 20 minutes. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. There are no words to assuage the pain of losing a loved one. That is a pain Kentucky's governor says he almost felt himself. It's really hard and uh, really painful. I spent eight hours wondering if one of my cousins was still alive. Just driving here this morning, we noticed that in farm fields with nothing else around, no buildings for miles, 
there are trucks and dumpsters and pieces of homes. So you realize that these were whipped into the air like toys and tossed all over the state of Kentucky. Yeah, the uh, rash of tornadoes, uh, which stretched from southern Illinois across uh, a large swath of the southeast, some unimaginably long tracks of tornadoes, 200, 250 miles, uh, and they don't know whether that was one tornado or multiple tornadoes. Uh, the meteorologists suspect that it was multiple ones. It's funny, I'd, I'd assume they could just look back at the radar um, and figure it out from that. But apparently they can't. But uh, the official death toll is, you know, in the teens at this point. But everybody's sure it's going to be uh, upwards of 100 uh, in in western Kentucky alone as the tornadoes just got on the ground and just stayed on the ground. Um, the, the the devastation, if you haven't seen the before and after pictures, it's just it's just incomprehensible. I mean, those of us who grew up in tornado country or live there now, we're familiar with the pictures and how, you know, you see one side of the street wiped out and then the other side's still standing and one house is spared and others leveled, the rest of it. But, I mean, the entire town, it's a cliche. It's the worst of cliches, and I try to try to avoid them, but it looks like an atomic bomb went off and just leveled entire towns. It's terrible. Uh, just terrible. What are you going to say? It's it's horrible and and. You know, that part of the country is definitely hurting. Here's uh, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir in Clip 72. This event uh, is the worst, most devastating, most deadly tornado event in Kentucky's history. Yeah, yeah, clearly. So just an absolute tragedy. Um, moving on, because there's just not that much more to say about it. Uh, just some, you know, this, that, and the other in the news. Uh, came across uh, yet another article about how things are getting nutty on airline flights, right? We've all heard about this, unruly passengers, uh, mask mandates. Year and a half into the global pandemic with the Omicron variant lurking. Well, it's it's lurking to make this thing less bad, I think. But many at flight attendants say they've reached their breaking point with unruly passengers, many of whom it's all about the mask mandates. All about that. They quote one gal who says, My job is not to manage you, the one passenger that constantly needs to be reminded to put their mask on. My job is to manage people getting where they need to go as quickly and safely as possible. Um, and they talk about all the videos we've all seen of people assaulting flight attendants and duct taping people to the seats and, and the rest of that. But some of the statistics um, I they came across, uh, or I just came across, are, are amazing. About 85% of the nearly 5,000 U.S. flight attendants said they dealt with an unruly passenger this year. Um, 85%. 17% say they've been physically assaulted. That's like one out of six has been physically assaulted? Hmm. The survey was conducted by the union. Now, you never want to let a crisis go to waste. We've certainly seen the teachers' unions exploiting the hell out of the poor little sad children to get what they can get. But I, I find myself, well, one out of six flight attendants has been physically assaulted this year? Seems a little much to me. FAA has received at least 5,100 reports of unruly passengers, 3,700 reports of passengers refusing to wear a mask, um, out of some 973 investigations, 239 resulted in penalties. 239 
I'm doing the math now. If there are 5,000 U.S. Uh, flight attendants, 500 would be 10%. So if indeed 17% had been physically assaulted, that would be like, I don't know, help me out here, like 850. But there have only been 239 incidents that resulted in penalties. I'm pretty sure if you punch a flight attendant, you're going to get a penalty. So I'm calling uh, BS on this survey. It's by the uh, AFA, CWA, AFL, CIO, EIEIO. How many letters are enough? Yeah, I'm calling bullcrap on that. I don't doubt for a second that people are being ugly and there's air rage and, and people are getting insulted, maybe even threatened or whatever. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't buy one out of six uh, uh, air waitresses have been punched. With all due respect to how ugly it's got to be. And this is not a lack of sympathy on my part. I wouldn't want your job. Um, but anyway. You're not doing. You're not helping anybody out by uh, by lying. Speaking of transportation, Amtrak executive told Congress on Thursday the railroad's not going to have enough people to operate its trains next month if the federal coronavirus vaccination mandate takes effect. You mandate the jabbins. They said about five percent of our workforce is yet to get the jabbin, and we're getting down to the end. Uh, we anticipate needing to temporarily reduce some train time frequencies across our network to avoid staffing-related cancellations. Uh, long story short, people aren't getting the jab. They don't want the jab. And uh, like hospital, I've got a story here about a big hospital uh, chain. It's going to have to cut back on services and shut down partially if the uh, the mandates continue. So, Not to mention the, uh, the poo has not truly hit the fan over the kid vaccine. It's the 5 to 12-year-olds. Have to get jabbed to go to school or, or what have you, go into a restaurant and such. We have not yet begun to see the ugliness of that highly questionable rule. Tsunami Awokeness coming up in a moment or two. Hope you can stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A new study finds that regular use of marijuana may disrupt people's sleep. That's adorable, said cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Remember, there is no safe uh, recreational drug use these days with all the fentanyl and everything. We learned that uh, during the Armstrong and Getty Extra Large uh, podcast that's available at armstrongandgetty.com. Speaking of interrupting sleep, there he is in the hospital, uh, co-host Jack Armstrong. Jack, are you there? Does does brand make you go or not go? Go, theoretically. Go helps okay. anyway. Then I'll eat my uh, bowl of brand they brought me when I get off the phone. Oh, this the, is uh, uh, this is the opioid uh, constipation situation, huh? I well, I don't know. So I got this bulge in my left side that just showed up uh, kind of overnight, and uh, nurse was really worried about it. Doctor came in and he said. I think it, well, he basically said what many listeners have been saying for years, that I'm full of crap. Oh, really? Yeah. And well, that might just be the only problem. Would that be a good thing, then? Yeah, oh, yeah, that would be a, definitely a good thing. As opposed to, yeah, something leaking in your insides or, yeah. or what have you. Correct. Yeah. He said there's nothing over there. It couldn't be anything but that. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's always interesting when you talk to the actual doctor as opposed to, you know, anybody else speculating. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny between you and my dog. I spend a lot more time thinking about and analyzing droppings than I used to. Oh, geez. What the hell? What? 
<sighs> it's like a constant source of uh, if, if Judy and I takes Baxter out. The first thing we go we talk about when we come back is the the status of his poons, and I'm not going to get any more specific than that. I'm a man of taste and breeding. Well, you remember when you have a baby, that's a constant con- uh, conversation too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely true. When was uh, the last time? What did it look like? You're constantly monitoring it. Yeah, yeah. Same with the uh, Baxi Taxi. It's improving, by the way. Would you like to hear my scale? I invented a scale for how he's doing. You probably wouldn't. No. no. Why not? It, 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 well, no, why not? Because it's horrible. That's why not. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It, it, well, it, it's descriptive, but it's it's good. I, I will just tell you that one of the gradations of how how his intestinal system is functioning uh, is uh, the term soft serve. Oh, like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. That's Let's rewind thing. this and, uh, and I will, uh, <laughs> and leave I will it change on air. my answer. <laughs> To no, don't tell me about it. Yeah, I know. I can never go to McDonald's and have an ice cream cone again. Um, although wow. you can't anyway because the damn ice cream machine never works. Darn it. So uh, Tsunami Awokeness coming up uh, next segment. Jack, if I might, I thought you would find this interesting. It's a note from, uh, he gives his name. I, ah, we'll just call him Al Anonymous. I heard you reading an email from a former addict and was inspired to share my story. This uh, goes back to the uh, Sam Quinones, uh Extra Large podcast and, and just talking about hard, hard drugs and, and our, our policy of, of just letting junkies be junkies and enabling them as much as possible, giving them everything they need from food to medicine to housing to just let the junk, help the junkies be junkies. That's compassion. That's the new policy in American cities. So Al writes, I heard you reading that email from a former addict inspired to share my story. I was a homeless meth addict from age 18 to 23. This was back in the 90s when being homeless was still hard. During that time, I got myself arrested for various offenses, mostly shoplifting. Anyway, I can recall standing in front of a judge. I wish I knew his name. I'd like to thank him. He looked at me and in a serious tone said, This is the second time I've seen you for this. If I see you again, it'll be a felony and you'll be looking at state prison, so don't let me see you again. That got my attention. Previous judges had said things like, Just plead no contest, you'll be out by Wednesday. This judge could have done the same, and I may have found myself in prison, but he took the time to let me know exactly what I was getting myself into, and for that, I am grateful. That really got me thinking about what I wanted out of my life. Threatening junkies with prison won't work for all, because some people are just hopeless. But if we can salvage a few, those kinds of things should be on the table. Worked for me. Now I'm a father of two with a completely normal life. Uh, Love the show, guys. Well, thank you, uh, Al, for writing in. Good for you, brother. Happy for you. Well, that is interesting on a couple of levels. First, him saying back when being homeless used to be hard, being homeless should be hard. I realize you're not supposed to say that out loud in certain circles. Being homeless should be hard. It should be something to really be avoided. Well, yeah, and I would, uh, you know, just massage that a little bit by saying being a public junkie living in the streets should be hard. You know what's interesting? You know the email, the text we haven't gotten? Not a single one of them is, yeah, I was a uh, a homeless junkie and a meth head and the rest of it, and gosh, I wish people would have helped me be a junkie longer. Boy, I wish they would have made more excuses for me and given me more stuff so I could have kept the lifestyle going. We've never, ever had a human being express that sentiment to us, and yet that's the policy of America's blue cities and states, isn't it? 
Yeah, and and well, and, you know, it's the old human nature thing. I just I don't know who these soft-hearted progressives who come up with these rules. I don't know what their life experience has been that's led them to believe that you just keep soft peddling it and make it comfortable and give them more chances and they'll eventually come around. What has led you to believe the, the, the this weird fairy tale? Yeah, I know. I know it's absolutely true. And I find myself thinking about, um, you know, some of the uh, just the, the so-called progressive Marxist policies on crime that we've been talking about in some of the big cities. What life experience has taught you that there are not a small but substantial number of people who will be predators no matter what you do? How, how have you escaped that reality? Didn't you figure that out by roughly third grade? Okay, some people suck and will take your stuff or break your stuff. Right, and again, maybe they've had hard lives, maybe they're broken themselves, maybe they're twisted, whatever, but as they're bashing in my head, the why doesn't really make that much difference to me. We can address in some sort of progressive and understanding way the pathologies that lead people to crime. I think a certain number of people are just sociopaths, honestly. I don't think there's anything you could do for them, and there never was. But, you know, if you want to deal with that sort of stuff, fine. But at the same time, we have to protect honest people. We have to protect the citizens. And and anybody who who rejects that notion, your, your Gascones and Chesa Bodines and the rest of it, you know the list, um, I just, I don't get them. I just think they're they're so tied up in their theories. They're so tied up in their academic v- visions of the world that they they have no grasp of reality. They don't know how it actually smells down here. So that dude that wrote the email said the judge did him the biggest favor of his life by threatening him with prison. That is something. Yeah. Yeah, he told him, "Son, this is where you're headed and I'll do it." And he thought, "Oh my god, I don't want that. I I got to take a look at what I'm doing." Yeah. How many of us? How many of us have had moments like that in our lives? Maybe it's not you know drugs. Maybe you're not on the street or whatever. But somebody takes you aside, probably quietly, probably just one on one, and says you're headed for disaster. And, and and you know and 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 brings the noise, lets you know, tells you what time it is. And and how many of us look back on those moments and think, oh my God, thank you for doing that. That can't have been easy. Right. You saved my bacon. Right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of the tsunami awokeness, which we're going to be getting to in a bit, I thought this email was really interesting as well. That uh, just crazy-ass clip from George Gascon, uh, who ruined San Francisco and then is working to ruin uh, Los Angeles. Do we have that handy still, Michael? We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities, income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. Wow, what an odd voice, what an odd man. But we got we got this note from a JT who writes when you legalize crime, you're not helping improve the state of social inequalities, income inequalities, the downtrodden. In fact, legalizing crime appears to only increase social and income inequalities while hurting the very people these softheads claim to be supporting, the poor and or the lower educated, particularly the poor and lower educated people of color. People most hurt by open border policies are illegal alien men and women of color, followed by the legal but unskilled men and women of color within the U.S., lower wages. The people most hurt by the biased support of the teachers' union are the poor children of color, single-parent families. The people most hurt by the soft-on-crime policies are those who can't afford to live in posh, safe neighborhoods. 
People in poor crime-ridden neighborhoods want more police and more crime prevention, not less. Clearly, though, these people see soft-on crime policies as a hindrance to their freedoms and their attempted pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The strangest aspect about Gascon and his collective brethren of Marxists is they claim to be for the people, but they enact policies that benefit a few individuals, thugs and career criminals, at the expense of the masses. They may be Marxists to the extent that they want to bring capitalism, but they're terrible at actually being the type that are for the proletariat. I would agree completely. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. but you know, the, the poor and downtrodden tend not to vote in numbers nearly as high as the uh, you know uh, social justice uh, degree sporting college graduate suburbanite women of of the world you know and men too I'm sorry gals that was an unfair shot at you there are plenty of men that can't vote worth a crap either but anyway who gets their who gets their car broken into and thinks oh that poor person they must really be hurting who <laughs> I know there are people that think that but man that's never crossed my mind. Yeah, my first I know. thought is, you son of a bitch. I hope I catch you sometime. <laughs> right, I'll beat, I'll beat my bike's value out of you. Um, well, yeah, and we've we've heard those people. We've seen. We've actually talked to yeah. them. And, okay. and, and I tell you what, I I I I feel like I'm talking to a talking dog or something like that. I I think, wow, you're a fascinating creature. What color's the sky in your world? Does two plus two equal four? No, according to James Lindsay's uh, detractors. Right. Just it's so strange, huh? Anyway, hey, gotta, I got a, a, go ahead. A, a quick question because I know you got to take a break before you get to tsunami awokeness. Yeah, I we got a couple of minutes. With, uh, I got to check with uh, Craig, our healthcare expert, because I would. L- I'll bet it's impossible. Which it's uh, which is this is its own interesting thing. I would love to know what the total cost will end up being for my gallbladder attack. I'll bet that's an impossible thing to come up with, and uh, and that that's on purpose, <laughs> but. I'm about to get another scan. I've had, I don't know how many different scans and different kinds of scans and everything like that, plus a total of five days and a surgery. You think it's been a million dollars for my gallbladder that somebody's paying for? I wonder. Your your premise was absolutely correct, though. Not only will you not be able to figure out the total cost of all this, but there's nobody you can talk to in the hospital system or anywhere else that can figure it out either. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet that's true. But I would love to know what the total cost was. Yeah. Did it cost the health care company, or I don't know what it cost. Um, and I don't know what kind of bills I'm going to get for an ambulance ride and everything like that. But I wonder if this gallbladder tech, you know, me eating too much fatty food cost uh, somebody a million dollars. Yeah, well, maybe the scan's a scam. It's a scan scam. Uh, I don't know. And the funny thing about medical care, and I'm not accusing anybody dealing with you or anybody at all of of this specifically, but, I mean, if if I'm a hospital administrator, I say, hey, that guy with the uh, gallbladder, how's he doing? I don't know. He says it still hurts. Why don't you run and throw another scan or two? Scan, scan his brain. Tell him, you know, we want to make sure his gall juices haven't infected his frontal lobe or make something up. We'll scan him again. Well, my my sense is it's the other way, though, and I don't know why, because I don't know who bears the brunt of these things. Really seemed like they were trying to avoid another scan. So, again, I'd have no idea how it works with the insurance company and the hospital and everything like that. I I don't have no idea. Well, maybe it's the opposite of what I'm so irresponsibly alleging. They're trying their best to get you, you know, cured without overdoing it and, and overtaxing you and your insurer. I don't know. I don't know. Of course, no you know, idea. the insurers probably fight back against unnecessary stuff. Well, we do have to uh, take a break. We're going to have a tsunami of wokeness coming up, including, in a twist, a reason for hope. 
Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Wait a minute. The Chinese national anthem can mean only one thing. There's a tsunami of wokeness. There is a tsunami of wokeness. There's a tsunami of wokeness. Washing across the land, perverting all that is good and decent. About this great civilization. Everything woke turns to sh**. It's a good point, sir. It's a good point. <laughs> but Wait! There's a twist this time. There is some really good news. But first, to the tsunami, Fordham University, another one of your elite universities. Fordham University professor fired after mixing up the names of two black students in his class. Here's where it gets weird. Hours after what he called an innocent mistake, the lecturer was so freaked out by what he'd done and so afraid that there was going to be a witch hunt for him, he unleashed a rambling nine-page email to all his students explaining the faux pas and trying to defend, without being asked, his entire life of working on issues of justice, equality, and inclusion. Oh, you said equality and not equity. And evidently, the students were so weirded out by that letter and found it so odd that what was nothing became a thing. Because one of the black kids in question said, um, said honestly, I wasn't offended. I didn't really think it was about race at all. Um, but then he unleashed this weird email to us. And I'm sure he did it out of terror. Fordham University, of course, says it's not the way it's being portrayed in the media, but we can't tell you what it's actually about. He was a popular instructor. A lot of a lot of the kids really liked him, thought he was a terrific teacher, but he's gone now because he stepped on the bear trap of wokeness. And it's a tsunami of wokeness. All right. Nah, you don't, that's too much. There's a me. tsunami there of wokeness. All right. That's fine. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, second, uh, second story. Uh, where is it? Here it is. Um, so we were talking about the uh, legalizing crime movement in many American cities, including San Francisco. Uh, and we've talked about the Safeway grocery store in San Francisco's Castro district and how the smash and grabbers and the thieves and the shoplifters have so looted this place. It has to close down now. And I can't remember six o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, something like that. And, you know, it's kind of an all-night neighborhood, and, and the idea that you can't go to the grocery store in the evening is is really a drag. Well, the headline from the San Francisco Chironicle is, This Safeway is getting weirder and weirder. They have restructured the store into an armed camp. The automatic gates that they've installed now, automatic security gates, let you enter the store, but they quickly shut behind you. So it's like only one way. It's like uh, almost like uh, subway turnstiles or something like that, preventing would-be thieves from dashing out with shopping carts full of stolen items. The supermarket has also added barriers around its self-checkout area, funneling customers through one narrow exit. 
Checkout aisles that aren't staffed are blocked with large physical barriers rather than just a cord, and the entire side entrance to the store has been closed and blocked off by a large display of water, plastic water bottles. So, obviously, they're trying to herd people into a narrow chute like your cattle. Now, whether in that narrow chute they're going to do something about thieves or not is an open question. Uh, maybe they just want a good picture of you. I don't know because, you know, as far as I can tell, nobody has the guts or the liability insurance to actually stop anybody from thieving. But uh, interesting. Grocery stores becoming armed camps. And then finally this, the twist, friends, the twist that brings hope. The woke speech codes have suffered a major setback. Some of the leading Hispanic rights groups in America have said no bueno to the term Latinx. Latinx. I'm Latino, you know. Latinx, that's bull-ass, said Representative Nydia Velasquez, a New York Democrat, first Puerto Rican woman elected to the House. Congratulations, ma'am. The League of United Latin American Citizens, LULAC, who are no conservatives, trust me, we've been following them for years, they also kicked Latinx to the curb. Domingo Garcias... Garcia, rather, the group's president, told its communications team and board of directors last week, stop using the term in official communications. Uh, Mr. Garcia later described his ban as the, as the death knell for Latinx. Quote, we probably put a stake in the heart of that Latinx movement thing. I think we're killing it. I don't have anything against people who want to use it, want to define themselves by it. Lulac just decided that we need to move on with terms that are more inclusive and more in use by everyday Jose's and Maria's. You know, I don't agree with uh, Lulac about much, but uh, Mr. Garcia, that's really well said. And, you know, you got a sense of humor, too. He said the term is very unlike by most Hispanics. Only 2% use the damn term. But every white, suburban, overeducated, upper-middle-class white woman in America and NPR insists you use it. You people are a joke. Armstrong and Getty.